Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Lisa H., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Tennessee. Today is Wednesday, May 18th, 2022, and this is the 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting. Today we're reading from the big book, and we're on page four in Bill's story. We're going to be reading and commenting on the third paragraph only that begins, we went to live with my wife's parents, and ends, I became an unwelcome hanger-on at brokerage places. Today's readers are, and thank you for your service this morning, Tenzin P. for the 12 Steps, Kelly I. for the 12 Traditions, Um, readers of the text, Marge O., Susan H., and Carmela G., Our newcomer greeter is Reva P., and our second-hour host is Chris G. The share IDs for yesterday, Tuesday, May 17, 2022, for the 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting, it's 18,966. That's 18966. For the 10 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting, it's 18,967. That's 18967. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated by any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Tenzin P. to please read the 12 steps. Good morning, uh, everyone, Kenzin P. Uh, in New York City. Here are the steps we took, which I suggested as a program of recovery. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. 
Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you very much. Wishing everyone a blessed day. Thank you, Tenzin P. And I will now ask Kelly I to please read the 12 traditions. Good morning, this is Kelly I, Compulsive Overeater in Indiana. The 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscious. Our leaders are but trusted servants, they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create special boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA, OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public, public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for allowing me to do service. Have a great day. Thank you, Kelly I. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, 
Everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book. We are on page four. We're going to read and comment on the third paragraph that begins, we went to live with my wife's parents and ends in, I became an unwelcome hanger-on at brokerage places. And I'll now ask Marge O. to please begin reading. Good morning, Marge O. from Massachusetts. May I be heard? Yes. Okay, thank you. We went to live with my wife's parents. I found a job, then lost it as the result of a brawl with a taxi driver. Mercifully, no one could guess that I was to have no real employment for five years or hardly draw a sober breath. My wife began to work in a department store. Coming home exhausted to find me drunk, I became an unwelcome hanger-on at brokerage places. So we are watching or reading the, um, and seeing, I like that word, seeing the progression of this disease. And when I first started reading this, especially sponsoring, I would think, good grief, the man's a genius. He really is. He was a brilliant, brilliant man. And this took him down such a path. And then I thought about myself and how, although I didn't have a bra with a taxi driver, how I just didn't. You know, I was more interested in the food, and I would pick up food and bring it to people's houses mostly so that I could eat myself. And I just can, you know, I can just so relate to this progression. And this part here, we went to live with my wife's parents. And how <clears throat> I, I know from what people have said in the history between Bill and his father-in-law, things were not good. He was not. Um, his father-in-law was not happy with that union and to go and live there and not work for five years I can only imagine that that was another part of his disease in that he must have thought that was okay the disease must have told him it's all right let other people take care of you and as he says in this last sentence I'm sure this was a very painful time for him I became an unwelcome hanger-on, and he really thought that he was going to make it big. He still has that idea that he's going to make it big and strike it rich, and that um, being as, as brilliant as he was, I'm sure he expected any minute for someone to just come get him and say, here, here's a marvelous job for you. So, you know, in relation to what I did with food, it's exactly the kind of things I did, especially um, without even thinking, I'd go buy a dozen donuts and drop at somebody's house at an ungodly hour of like 9 a.m. And everybody had small kids and just taking advantage that way and not thinking of it that way. It was like, oh, aren't I good? I showed up with something special. So, again, I have to say it out loud. I'm just so grateful to be a part of this program and to continue to learn more and more about where I, where this disease took me and where Visions has taken me, and I am ever so grateful for the Visions program and all of you. And with that, I pass, and thank you. Thank you, Marge O., for getting us started. And although we value your experience, we ask that you limit your shares to every third day in order that others might share their experience too. So if you've shared on any of the Vision meetings on Monday or Tuesday, we ask you to hold back. And who would like to share on what was read? Irene. Jim from Toledo. Irene, I'm sorry. 
Joe. Nancy P. Deborah. Harlan. Deb. Hang on. Nancy. Deborah V. Deborah. Larry G. Larry G. Carmella okay. G. Okay, hang on. Slow down. Okay, I'm now wait. Let me tell you who I have. Okay, and you'll have to give me first initial of your last name. Um, I have, I think, this is what I have. Irene, Joe, Harlan G, Nancy T, Deborah, Larry G, Jim, and Carmela G. Um, did I miss anybody? Jim S. Jim S. Thank you, Jim. Okay, I've got you on there. Was there a Joe? Okay, well, we'll see. Um, if you'll give me the first initial of your last name when you share. Irene, you're up, followed by Joe. Good morning. Um, this is Irene B. from Louisiana. Thank you so much for your service. Um, oh, my goodness. How many times have I read this book with you guys? I, I think this is the third time, plus whatever I read it on my own with my sponsor or groups or workshops and what astonishes me is that I don't know what it is but the more I read the more I deeply relate to Bill things that would just go over my head resonate to my core and yes I did that yes I did that or I didn't see that before but I see it now you know, something different. Um, right now, this man has gone to live with um, the in-laws, and it's like, okay, what's the big deal? You know, I never connected the fact that this is, if he hadn't been for family, he would have been homeless. He would have been homeless. And um, that's really striking to me but I don't know why it is because how many times have I seen um, alcoholics living in the street you know I've seen that a lot so that shouldn't surprise me but when I realized that as a bulimic um, I was actually kind of like in that situation I had to go stay with a family member for a period of time, and I'm not really sure what the circumstances were. And it's all tied to the disease. I mean, this disease is not just the eating. It just permeates through every aspect of my life. And I didn't even realize it. I had no idea that my disease impacts the people who love me, those around me, and impact me, of course it does, but in so many more ways than I, I was ever aware of. And the grandiosity, you know, of of the man, I, I, I hadn't been able to share about that. But when I graduated from college, I went to work and I was going to show these people how to do credit analysis. Seriously, the grandiosity. And oh, and by the way, I got fired. <laughs> and it's not funny. 
But um, yes, I relate. I relate, and I'm just Hi. glad that there is a solution and that I passed. Thank you so much. Thank you, Irene B. And Joe, you're up, followed by Harlan G. Maybe I didn't get Joe correct. Um, Harlan G., are you available, followed by Nancy P.? Yes, I am, Lisa. Thank you. And I'm going to ask you to please time me because I'm outdoors. Thank you for your service. I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I live in Scottsdale, Arizona. I'm going to go pre-paragraph here. It is now the summer of 1931, and the Wilsons have returned to New York from Montreal. And in the summer of 31, Lois will suffer her second ectopic pregnancy. Lois's father, Dr. Burnham, as was mentioned in the first chair, had no use for Bill. He thought Bill was a huckster. He was a hustler of stocks. Bill came from the wrong side of East Dorset, Vermont tracks. He was younger than Lois. He did not want Lois to marry Bill. But anyway, it's uh, now the summer of 1931. Lois is suffering her second ectopic pregnancy, and she is unable to get the bleeding to stop, and she is hemorrhaging out. She calls her father, who is a genetics doctor, a gynecologist, and a surgeon. Dr. Burnham, Lois is a Burnham, Dr. Burnham comes to the house. He sees that his daughter is hemorrhaging. He leaves a note. We are at Roosevelt Hospital. Come immediately upon seeing this note. That's about 6 o'clock in the evening. Bill Wilson comes in about 10 to 10.30 a.m. the next day to the hospital. A hysterectomy has been performed on Lois. Her dream of having a family is over. Her dream of having children is done. She is deathly sick. And Dr. Burnham has given orders that no one is to be admitted to Lois's room until they see him first. Bill is there at the hospital. He has obviously peed in his pants twice. He has vomit stains on his shirt and tie. He's wearing the same clothes he wore yesterday. He smells of body odor, whiskey, vomit, and urine. Dr. Burnham tells him he's a bum and wants nothing to do with him. This is who Bill is forced to move in with and live with. This is who Bill is going to now live with. Now, let's also remember that in 1931, the egalitarian society we live in, where men and women work and were equals and all this other stuff, was not in place. Lois is an interior decorator by trade. She's working at Macy's, earning $19 a week salary, plus about $7 a week in commissions. He is staying home, earning nothing, doing nothing. He's the prince of Wall Street. And now he's nothing but a drunken bum. He hires a taxi to take him to 182 Clinton Street after a night of drinking. He can't pay the fare. 
the taxi cab driver and him get into a fist fight. His, his prospective employer hears about this and withdraws, withdraws the offer to employ him. He Time. is in the nadir of his drinking, and this is, where, this is where he's moving, is to his mother-in-law and father-in-law's 182 Clinton apartment. I'll pass. Thanks, Lisa. Gosh, thank you, Harlan. I appreciate that. Nancy P., you're up, followed by Deborah. Hi, good morning, uh, Lisa. Thank you so much for letting me share. Good morning, everybody. Nancy P. recovered in West Newton, Massachusetts. So we went to live with my wife's parents. And, um, you know, Harlan just gave us a pretty good uh, thumbnail sketch of what that was like. But really what this is is just more progression. You know, we the elevator only goes down. <clears throat> you know, Bill goes from, <coughs> excuse me, went from, you know, uh, not yet his drinking not yet being continuous to hardly drawing a sober breath and not very long either about it and um, so his progression is going forward at lightning speed Bill might think that it's gradually getting worse but from my reading it doesn't seem like it is and you know my progression went got like juiced pretty pretty drastically you know I went from picking and licking type of stuff and the odd binge to literally if I was awake I had to be chewing if I wasn't working like and if I was working it meant in a meeting with other people if I was alone at my desk I was eating so if I wasn't working sleeping or actively with my family like in the car with them I was chewing something and you know my weight exploded I mean it just exploded I'm five one and a half and I was up over 200 pounds. I couldn't even, um, when, I, when my alarm went off in the morning, I had to hoist myself across the bed. It was a lot of work just to get out of bed in the morning for me. Um, you know, and my life as Bill's was deteriorating faster than I could lower my standards. I mean, I didn't lose my family or my home or anything like that, thank goodness, but I lost plenty of jobs in the course of my working life. I'm retired now, but I've, I've been fired from more jobs than I've left. And, um, you know, I just, I, 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 you know, when I finally get to the end, I, 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 didn't, I didn't know where I was going to go. You know, I had just finished my afternoon dozen donuts in the car, and I, I was covered with donut crumbs and sugar and frosting, and I was sobbing in my car. And um, that's when I chose to get off the elevator. And I'm not interested in getting back on because the elevator is still moving down. So I got off when it was as bad as it needed to be for me. And I had to think, you know, I have to rebuild my life from there. And, um, you know, Bill, he even says gradually things got worse. You know, I, I just feel like, I didn't know how to lower my standards any lower than they were. And that's when I got off the elevator. But I, I had felt that way prior to that, too. I had felt, you know, that I was going to straighten out. <clears throat> you know, I had moments that renewed my own hope. I don't know about anybody else's, but um, I think I have this licked only to be in this vortex of fear and pain and rage and eating and eating and eating. And um, finally, I got off the elevator. So 
with that, I'll pass. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Nancy P. And Deborah, you're up, followed by Larry G. Hi, this is Deborah B. from the great state of New Jersey, B as in Victor. Can you hear me? I can. Thank you, Deborah. Thanks. Um, wow, what a great reading. And, um, you know, for me, Bill's story always reminds me of, you know, especially this paragraph about the shame of this disease and the places that it takes us. And in this particular paragraph, it talks about how Bill had to do this geographic. And for me, I did a lot of that. I did geographics, moving around, staying at other people's houses, that kind of thing. Um, And the thing that is, you know, most prevalent to me about the essence of the reading is that he didn't even, he was like oblivious to the shame and the um, perhaps the desperation that he was in. Um, and it was just sort of like, you know, like he said, a hanger on her. And how many times have I done these kinds of geographics? Like whether or not it's a physical move or, oh, it'll be better if this happens or that happens, if I'm this weight or that weight. You know, my disease got pretty bad. You know, I've been up and I've been down. And my and in my height, I was about 300 pounds. And in my, in my depth, I was about 90 pounds. Um, and... You know, I remember the shame of not being able to take care of myself, um, not be able to practice good hygiene and needing people to help me and being oblivious to, like, how I did this to myself. And, you know, the same thing here with Bill. Like, he's got to live with his in-laws, and clearly it's not likely that he wanted to do it, but he's just he, – he would rather drink than have a different solution at this point. And it says it in the big book. Like, you know, even though we know it's injurious, we just keep doing it. And for me, my life got pretty bad. And, um, you know, it just reminds me that, you know, I've never heard in all the years I've been in OA anyone come back from the binge and say it was great. Never. And so, you know, the desperation of um, of that sentiment keeps me here and planted uh, every morning. So I'm very grateful. And with that, I pass. Have a good day, everybody. Thank you, Deborah B. And Larry G., you're up, followed by Jim S. Thank you. Uh, my situation's changed, so I'm going to pass on sharing today. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Larry. Um, Jim S. You're up, followed by Carmela G. Yeah, my name is Jim. I'm a compulsive overeater from Toledo, Ohio. Glad to be on this call. Can you hear me? Yes, Jim, go ahead. Uh huh. Now we can't hear you, Jim. Jim, try to press star one again. Yes, I'm listening to this man talk about the prompts. Oh, there um, you are. Well, we can hear you now. Okay. The, the um, words that just pierced my heart are unwelcome hanger on. I am a hanger on. 
but I'm not unwelcome now. On Mother's Day, my daughter and my other daughter and my wife were planning to have Mother's Day lunch without me. And my wife insisted that I be there. If that hadn't happened, I would be an unwelcome hanger-on in my, in my family. And I'm just so glad I read those words this morning because I was struggling to eat the food that I plan to eat every morning during the week. I had the other kind of, I, I eat oatmeal. I should eat oatmeal. But I wanted to eat the regular cereal that comes in the box. And I had the box opened to eat it, and then I went back to the oatmeal. I need to have a plan, and I need to stick with it. I need to be true to myself. And I'm so glad I've done that this morning. And it gives me hope that I can be a thankful, grateful, compulsive overeater. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Jim F. And Carmela G., you're up. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you for everyone on the line. Um, my name is Carmela G., and I am a grateful compulsive overeater recovered for today through the miracle of my higher power I call God. Um, the, the, the thing that gets me is reading this paragraph is when we feel like Bill felt, when we act like Bill acted. In disease, I was the egotistical maniac striving. Um, The diagnosis of compulsive overeater includes a disease of the body. So put put the food or the substance, whatever it is that's owning you down, which I did, but my insane mind, my obsessive thoughts, my defects of character will be with me forever, and that ego will be with me. And that's step three is to surrender. And Bill was going to have to surrender. He was egotistical. He was high on the hog. He was out there golfing. He was king of the mountain, yet he was a lone wolf. Those highs, those lows, and now, in this paragraph, he's at the bottom, the humiliation. And what happens to us when that triggers, when we get humiliated, when we finally stop lying to ourselves? What happens to me is I feel less than the hanger-on, oh, I'm really not needed, and the obsessive, crazy thoughts pop in. But the reality is I have a God who loves me perfectly, and if I want to wallow in those thoughts and humiliation, then I am thinking I am better than God because this God that I have selected to be my higher power loves me perfectly, and when we feel this humiliation and lack of self-worth in whatever action happens in our life, 
and we act out on it, we know that God loves us. And we have to allow that love to carry us through. And that is the only way I can live each day knowing that I am given a gift, a gift to wake up to the sunshine and blue sky even on gray days and know that I am loved and forgiven for all the insane behaviors I've ever done and continue to walk this path in the sunlight, surrendering to do his will, not mine. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Carmela G. And just um, for everyone who might be coming on, we are on page four in Bill's story, reading and commenting on the third paragraph that begins, we went to live with my wife's parents and ends, I became an unwelcome hanger-on at brokerage places. Who else would like to share this morning? Wendy B. from California. Melissa. Linda D. Melissa. Wendy B. Melissa. Linda. Christina J. Sarah R. from New York. Christina J. Okay, I got Christina. I got, okay, there was a male voice. So this is what I have. Wendy B., Melissa C., Linda D., Christina J., Sarah R., and there was a male voice I missed. Pete B. Pete B., thank you. Okay, that's a great lineup. Amy G. Amy G., I'll put you on at the end. Okay. Wendy B, Melissa C, Linda D, Christina J, Sarah R, Pete B, and Amy G. Fantastic. Wendy B, you're up, followed by Melissa C. Hi, my name is Wendy V as in Victor. Thank you. Yeah, so I I was just looking back on page one, and it says, my talent for leadership, I imagine, would place me at the head of vast enterprises, which I would manage with with the utmost assurance. And then you jump up to page four and it's a total contrast of thinking. And what I see is that I, page five, I became an unwelcome hanger honor at brokerage places. And I'm thinking what a contrast in ideas. And here's a very driven, egotistical, very highly ambitious man. And how he's not in charge of where he's going, where he's going to live, who he's going to live with. And here's a man who likes to look good, make money, is constantly worried about his outsides and how he appears to the world, how he's going to prove to the world that he's a success. And he's living with his father-in-law um, vomiting on himself and how this wasn't his plan and how he is no longer making the plans. Alcohol is choosing for him at this point where he will live. He's not making choices anymore. He lost the power of choice and drink and now alcohol is choosing his surroundings, his finances, and his homestead. So he lost the power of choice for sure and this was not how he started off thinking he would end up in life. He no longer gets to choose. Alcohol's running his life. Thank you. Thank you, Wendy B. And Melissa C., you're up, followed by Linda D. 
Hey, good morning. Thanks so much. And Melissa Stay, recovered compulsive overeater in New York. Thanks, Lisa. Um, you know, God, when Harlan was like giving the background of the story, I found myself in tears. And because it, it's crushing, it's just crushing to think that someone with such incredible capabilities and talent and drive is like in this position and and I guess what really hurt is oh boy can I relate to that you know it made me think um, especially when we were talking about what was this ectopic pregnancies and those losses there I, you know my my own personal experience is I've had some crushing losses of um, child and you know and yet when my son now he's 15 was was an infant I was in morbid obesity um because of this disease, here's this kid who we were dying for, truly dying for, and I couldn't, I could barely hold him, and I couldn't keep up with him. And and I knew, because I'm smart, I knew what food was doing to my body, and I knew all kinds of way before, and I couldn't, I was without power to do anything about it and you know and I just remember um you know people who loved me sitting me down and they were like you know you've got everything now like you got to get yourself together and and it's just you know when food is is your boss yeah food tells you this is okay this is just a bite you know this is what it looks like when you think you're taking the bite, but the bite took you. And that's really what, you know, what happened for me. And then the thought about, you know, being an unwelcome hanger-on. You know, when you look, you're over 300 pounds, walk on a plane, and you know what that expression means because everybody looks away. They're praying, God, don't let her sit next to me. And I remember thinking in my own head, you know, I don't want to sit next to me either. And, um, it's just, it's just really, it's crushing, and I'm, I, this part of the story is just, it just, like, gets me right in the, right in the chest, and, um, you know, I just want to be really grateful today for all that I have, that, that I no longer live in the bondage of food, and um, thanks for that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C., and Linda D., you're up, followed by Christina J., Hi, it's Linda D. from Connecticut. I'm very, very thrilled and grateful to be recovered and to be here and to share on this. Um, what Harlan shared about um, the intimate details of Lois and Bill, um, I've lived a lot of that. I don't have to guess. I've lived it. I was born, I looked normal. I was 38 years old before I knew I had a disease. It wasn't denial, I was a dumb bunny, my grandma would call it. And when I found out I had it, it was I was shattered, I was a wreck. And I'm almost speechless to say how grateful I am because I didn't get me together. I don't get me together any day in the week. The um, higher power, 
that I call God gets me together today and every day. I'm so grateful to be recovered, to be listening to that higher power, to be connected to all of you. I cannot do this alone. I don't have to. And thank you for helping me save my life. I so appreciate you. I love you. And I love you, God. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Linda D. And Christina J., you're up, followed by Sarah R. Good morning, everyone. Christina J. from the state of Washington. I am so blessed to be on these meetings. These last couple weeks have been excruciatingly painful and beautiful, the healing that's going on in these rooms. I was thinking last night how I was sitting alone in my bathroom in my 30s, sweating, trying on different clothes because the family had come in to visit from another state. We were all going to go out to SeaWorld or someplace like that, and I had nothing I could put on. I was alone and isolated and scared. I couldn't love myself. I couldn't appear in front of them fat. I I had nothing else to hide in. So what's it take to take down the bloated, empty ego of self, the false illusion, so painful, wrapped in denial of if I just did this diet or this career, um, I I had years of being a false front. I was a false front like Bill. I had nothing inside. I was empty. I had my talents in the next diet. And I was just also reflecting last night, I've been at goal weight for almost two years, and it does nothing for me. I don't use it anymore to get attention. It doesn't matter. I'm grateful for my health, but I'm like, well, what do I do with this body that's now at goal weight? Nothing. I live. I give of my soul. What's filled me up is the truth of life, the truth of my soul the love that I now get to give, my experience, strength, and hope in this program. But what did it take to take me down? It took shame and guilt and failure and illness and sickness and near-death body pain, numb, foggy brain. I suffered for years in this thing, and I see Bill is getting worse and worse here. I hung on to diets. I hung on to my career. I hung on to all the false illusions of life that I thought were going to get it for me, do it for me. What do you do if you don't do all that stuff, you know? But I've learned that I have so much to give, and I'm grateful that I have recovery today and that my false ego is being taken down continually daily because I still have it, but I'm in a complete state of surrender these days. I have a place that I am in my life that I don't know what the future holds at all, and God is really using that to teach me to surrender. I'm so grateful for this place of fear and unknown future. It's so painful, but I got one thing. I got God, and I got him telling me every morning, it's okay. I got the magic and the miracle coming. You just keep surrendering to me. And this is what this program brings us. It brings us complete surrender, peace, and love. But we got to keep working it. We got to keep going to God. So um, I hope that helps somebody. Love you all, and I pass. Thank you, Christina J. And Sarah R., you're up, followed by Pete B.
Sarah, press star one. We can't hear you. I was on mute. I'm sorry. Yeah, there you um, go. You're good. When we're saying our names, I put it on mute and I forgot to unmute it. Um, okay, so hi everyone. This is Sarah R. Unmuted um, from New York. And I wanted to talk about, um, sorry, I don't have the book in front of me, but they spoke about the concept of the third wheeler, right? That unwanted welcome hanger. And I feel like that's really the crux of my disease. Well, part, part B is that I am my own higher power in my disease, and that's also an unwanted welcome hanger, but that's for another day. Anyways, for me, I always identify out. I always feel unwelcome. I always feel like this third wheel, whether it's with myself, judging myself for anything and everything, or when it comes to other people, comparing myself to what others have that I don't or where I should be. And it's this unwelcome negativity. Why am I saying this? Because this is causes the need, right? The disease in me, um, you know, when someone has cancer, you know, their, their disease causes them to feel weak. Their disease causes them to feel ill. This disease of mine causes me to feel this, this, it causes when I feel unwelcome as a third wheel hanger, it causes me to feel angry and upset and worthless and right away, boom, boom, straight into that food. And whether it's stuffing myself to this extreme proportioned or starving myself and just not eating for days and days and days. But, you know, the more I stay up in my disease, the more I stay as this third wheel for myself, then, you know, it's kind of mutually exclusive with HP. And the more as, you know, other folks were talking about the surrender and letting go, there's so much more room and ability for growth and for beautiful and just having a life that isn't just resentful and hateful. And, you know, I don't want to say I love the resentful and hateful. It's just well, my disease knows. So, you know, that's why running through the steps, well, I want to say like trudging by a hairpin, day by day, minute by minute, and just, you know, realizing that I stay here and I don't have to be that third welcome hanger. Thank you. With that, I pass. Have a good day. Thank you, Sarah R. And Pete B., you're up, followed by Amy G. Thanks, moderator. Can you hear me? My name's Pete B. I'm a compulsive overeater recovered today by God's grace and mercy. Uh, I can hear you. You know, so, so, um, you know, these, these, these last few paragraphs, they're all, you know, they're, they're all, you know, gr- good stories and, you know, good, you know, analogies. And we, we, we tend to, you know, relate to the, the, you know, what we think the state of mind is of Phil, right? Like we're based on our experience and, and then that's, that's good. It's a good observation. And we got to do something in this, in, you know, in our, in our three minutes. Right. But, you know, what, what this, what this speaks to for me, is just the power 
of the phenomena of craving, right? In all of these decisions, right? Bill's drinking. Bill's not, you know, Bill's ego is not telling him to keep drinking. Bill's ego is not, it's not his character that say, or his lack of character that's saying, well, go drink anyway. Right? Where he's, he's dealing with the phenomena of craving, which has a biological mandate that once ingested, once these substances are in the body, the substances are making the decisions. Bill's not making the decision. It's not his, he's, he's, not, he's not drinking because of his ego or his lack of character. He's drinking because of the phenomena of craving. You know, we talk about a lot of power in this room. We talk about human power. We talk about higher power. We talk about lower power. We talk about all different kinds of power, fellowship, power to fellowship. The, the power of the phenomena of craving, you know, this is, this is, the, this is the worst disease on the face of this earth. It's, it's, not, it's not lack of character. It's not, it's not excessive ego. When these substances get in our body, we are biologically mandated to have more of them. Right? I've, been, I've, I've had a bag of potato chips in my hand and a pint of Ben and Jerry's with a big book on my lap and prayed to God for them to be removed. Take these away. And guess who won? Ben and Jerry's and Lay's potato chips. Right? This is, this is a devastating illness. It'll tell, you, it'll tell you all sorts of things of what your problems are, what your problems are. The problem is, is that I have, I am, I'm, bio, I, I'm, I'm different from other people. I have an abnormal reaction that once these substances get in my body, they, just continue, they, they will make me eat more of them, period, dot, the end. Right? And it's not a lack of power. It's not a lack of willpower. It's not a lack of character. It's not an excessive ego. The fact of the matter is my ego is what doesn't make me drink. My ego prevents me from surrendering, from giving in and saying, I'll never be, the, I'll never be like other people, right? You know, this, is, this, is the, the, this phenomenon of craving causes me to make decisions that prevent me from reaching any of the potential that I could possibly have. Like there's a million reasons why people pick up the first drink. There's a million reasons why. There's only one reason why they pick up the second one. That's because of the phenomenon of craving. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Pete B. And Amy G., please share with us. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Amy G. I'm a recovered compulsive eater from Maryland. Thank you, everyone, for your service and for a wonderful meeting. Um, there's a saying in the rooms is that, you know, the the – with compulsive eating that people outside of me see what the disease does to me, but they don't see what it does for me because of the mental obsession and the physical allergy. And I understand that. And others have eloquently expressed that about being on an airplane or being caught for me, you know, purging in a bathroom, um, those kinds of things and not understanding and myself not understanding why willpower, knowledge and human experience could not combat this physical allergy and the mental obsession. I didn't know what I didn't know. And when I read this progression of Bill's um, disease, of his illness, I have great empathy and compassion for a man trying to deal with something as we transition here where the next paragraph becomes a necessity. I mean, we're not even at a point yet 
where he really wants to stop. You know, he clearly thinks he can control it, in my humble opinion. And as I have for myself and many times in my life before I bottomed out thinking that there must be some way to control this. I didn't know what I was up against, especially that physical allergy and the mental obsession. I didn't know what I didn't know. And I feel like for me as a member now of Overeaters Anonymous, it is my honor, my privilege, but my responsibility to understand that there are others like me and to be able to reach out with a message of depth and weight, these 12 steps that saves people's lives. Because I didn't know until I walked into my first Overeaters Anonymous meeting, no one had ever talked to me about what uh, everyone was trying to offer help by saying, well, here's a diet, you know, here's something else you can do. My, my parents gave me $500 for a new wardrobe if I, if I lost 40 pounds. I mean, those are the kinds of ways that they tried to fix, you know, and that's not what I needed. And that's not their fault, but I didn't know. And I had to have someone to be able to tell me. And that's why I feel incredibly, incredibly responsible to be able to be sharing a message of depth and weight that we hear in these rooms so that we can share with others that there is hope. There is hope, page 17, we have found a common solution. There is no secret code upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This torture we're going to hear Bill continue to go through, right? We have a solution now. So I say to the newcomer on the line, welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, welcome home. The pain and the torture, we are not like other people because of the physical allergy and the mental obsession, but we have a way out on which we can recover. And then, you know, we can go from there. So we are here, we reach out, and there is a solution. And without a pass. Thank you, Amy G. And we have time for one more two-minute share, if anyone would like to have it. Susan S.H.? Please go ahead, Susan. Thank you. <laughs> okay, the unwelcome hanger on. That's something that comes up. That's something that I feel. I'm Susan S.H. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater and very grateful in Ohio. Um, the self-pity of being that unwelcome hanger on comes to me. And uh, self-righteous resentment along with it usually. I have this disease, and this disease um, makes me unable to deal with these things without the directions of the 12 steps. And the directions always direct me back to my higher power. My personality change allows me to honestly admit these things that come up and take it to my higher power and share it with my fellows in program. What a gift to get these directions and to deal honestly with my own emotions, no matter how shameful I think they are. My unconditional love in a higher power tells me I'm okay. Tells me keep trudging. Tells me I'm loved exactly where I am. And I'm so grateful for that. And I pass. Thank you, Susan S.H., and thank you to everyone who shared this morning. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. The share ID for today, Wednesday, May 18th, 2022, 
the 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting is 18,969. That's 18969. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Susan S.H., please read A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Yes, I'm grateful to Susan S.H. again. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then, I pass.